I'm Emily Kyle and this is Local. This is a conversation with Deborah Jago. Deb speaks earnestly and openly about the trials of family with humour and a kind of resilience that can be difficult to find. This episode contains graphic content concerning childbirth, adoption and family discord. Please be kind to yourself when listening. And remember, you don't have to listen at all. I thought about that conference in Brisbane in the early noughties, a presentation about colonials writing out sublime orgasmic fear in the tree fern glades in gullies of the mind. I laid in the earthy flavours on the spongy floor looking up the trunk under blades dotted with spores. On Palm Sunday, I had queued for the Anglicans with a frond. Along the creeks, cutting down the mountainside, foliage competes with invaders. Blackberry thorns cut the harvest. Profane juice dribbles down the corners of my lips. Over the cycle, leaves of tree ferns turn brown and crisp and lay down. New fiddleheads shoot from the trunk, a package for carnal worship carried over from the past. Um, okay, so if you could talk a little bit about your experience with your daughters. Which daughters? <laughs> Um, so all in all, you have six, and two of them are no longer with you. Well, I adopted two of them out when I was younger. Adopted one out, kept one, adopted one. Had an abortion, got married, had three. <laughs> what prompted you to go through the adoption process? Why? What was your situation? Back in those days, I felt that I didn't have the support of my mum and Dad just sort of went with the flow with Mum, I think. But um, it was just right on the turn of being a supportive single parent. You know, it was only a matter of a couple of years from memory that one minute you could get no help and then you could get help, you know, from the government. So I was just rebellious, you know. 16, ran away, 17, ran away, got pregnant. Mum and Dad, Dad had actually seen me walking up the street pregnant, but um, I don't think Mum ever really knew that I was pregnant. Mm. So it's just um, I just adopted him out, you know, you just go to hospital, have a baby and... Just leave it there. It just had to be tough. You know, yeah. Yeah, decisions had to be made, actions had to be taken. You know, thinking that you're doing the right thing. 
only to sort of find out years later that you had done a better job with the ones that you kept. You know, so I <laughs> should have kept them. It probably would have probably would have been. They might have ended up a lot better because I've been lucky enough to um, meet them, hmm. to catch up with them, and they both were mothers. You know, one daughter's now a grandmother. Yeah, so, but one daughter passed away. The second one that I adopted out, she was um, she more or less committed suicide. I'm led to believe she was HIV positive, a drug addict, hooking to supply the habit. Just sat in the middle of Punchbowl Road with a baseball bat, and the first car missed her, but the second one didn't. Mm. So. She had left behind two kids, a little boy and a little girl. They were living up in Warhope. So, and I've been lucky enough to catch up with the granddaughter. So she's having a little baby. So that one worked out. That was well, you know, nice then because um, the brother and the sister. And the first one, she lives in Wagga. She had um, four kids. Four or five, five, four kids. Uh, four or five kids, maybe four kids, I think. And um, her daughter is has just become a mum. So, but she's a drug addict. Uh, on the ice and that apparently. So you could, uh, I think I did a better job. I think all kids dabble in the drugs at some stage. You know, some stronger drugs than others, some not so strong. But, um, yeah, it was just, it was just the way that I made it, I suppose, more than, yeah. Because well, when I felt pregnant, I was living at home when I had the second one, the, the third one, the second one that I adopted out, and I'd gone to the doctors to get some contraception. I'd find out it was too late, I was already pregnant. Yeah, so mum, I lived in the same house with mum and dad, and, um, I was driving around, I was in labour and driving Dad around to go to work and go to the pub because it was an afternoon shift and I'm hanging on to the steering wheel thinking, fuck on hell, you know, these contractions. <laughs> anyway, needless to say, that baby, that was Alice and she was um, born in the back of the ambulance. So I had to travel from some distance with this baby between my legs and if I moved just a flitch, I could feel her. But I just didn't look when she when I went to the hospital. Just closed your eyes and, you know, yeah, just carry on regardless. Just, uh, keep on keeping on. Like a good oil, you got to keep on keeping on. <laughs> then um, after all that, then I, because that my my second daughter, I kept her. She lives in. Up the coast now, same mum, same dad as the first one, and then um, I had an abortion after I adopted the second child out. Then got married, came to Tassie, and had three more. It was must have been fun shagging around back in the day. <laughs> I'm not even interested in that dirty habit anymore. <laughs> But it is what it is. 
you can't change the past. You just can learn from it, share your experiences. But if people take it on board, they take it on board. You know, if they don't, well, then suck eggs if you fuck up, mm. isn't it? But, you know, we all, we all stuff up. So. When you met your two daughters who you let go of, did you learn anything about the family who adopted them? No. Or the families? N- no, not a thing. Um, when you adopted them out, I was only ever given one wish. I could name them, but there was no guarantee that you could name them, but there was no guarantee that they would keep that name. Mm. So I named the first one. And by the time the second one came around, I thought, what's the bloody point of giving it a name? They're only going to change it. That um, was only given one wish, and that wish was what religion mm. that I want them to be brought up in. Well, I chose Church of England. And then they said, if we can't find parents with Church of England, what is your other choice? And I just said, Salvation Army. So, and I think the second one was brought up in um, Salvation Army family, which is okay, you know, that's better than, if there's a better of any religion, I suppose it's better than some. Because mm. then again, religion is just people's choice, I suppose, you know. Choose what you choose, you know. Uh, I've always insisted that my children were baptised at the Church of England. When I met the husband, he was never baptised, so I made him get baptised when um, he was baptised the same day that my my baby, was, my youngest child was baptised, yeah, so. Yeah. Why was that important to you? I don't know. I just said, I thought, I suppose, yeah. You don't go to heaven, or in my case, hell. So with all the bad men and the boozies, I'll go down there. You know, you don't <laughs> you don't go to heaven if you're not christened or baptised. But it's just what you believe in, what you don't believe in, mm. what you're too frightened not to believe. I suppose you know. So just take the easy way out and just oh yeah, do that, mm. do the right thing. I'm going to go to heaven. I don't want to go to heaven. I go to hell. I'm already in hell. <laughs> Oh, I might have to go to heaven, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) What was your relationship with your mum like? Um, Probably the same as any... as any relationship with two strong, pig-headed women in the house, like, you know. You've got two chickens in the hen house. They're going to argue... You know, they're going to fight. And I've been pig-headed, you know, strong-willed, haven't changed. And I can remember asking, Mum and Dad, can I go out? I don't know why you're asking us, Debbie, because you're only going to go anyway. And I thought, yeah, well, at least I'm giving you the option that you know I'm going. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Even the husband said that. He says, Tubbs, I don't know why you're asking. He said, because you're only going to go out anyway. And I said, yeah, true that. See you later. Mm. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. Was it different with your dad? Yeah, dad. Well, you usually get, you know, boys are mummy's boys and girls are daddy's girls, you know. But I 
never ever got hit as a kid. Yeah, I certainly don't remember. No, no, Mum tried to hit me once, and that I was too old to be suffering that sort of shit. So I sorted that out pretty quickly. Um, yeah, no, Dave was great. Yeah, when I was I was seven months pregnant with my my youngest child, and I rolled the car along the Hatfield Strait there, one one kilometre of the Burnie side of the Cradle Mountain Turner, hanging upside down. And Mum and Dad were living on the East Coast at that stage and all I wanted to do was talk to my Dad. Dad was at the pub. David answered the phone. I said, I want to talk to Dad, you know. So just just want your Dad. You know, when things have gone pear-shaped, you just want your Dad. You know, well, he's curled his toes up too, that old bastard, so <laughs> I can't call him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so is it you... Just you and David now? Yeah, just me and David. Did you ever feel like you could talk to your mum about women's Hell things? no. Hell no. Yeah, no. Nah. I can remember once I'd, I had this little half-slip petticoat and it was hanging over the towel rail in the bathroom and Dad must have cut himself shaving or a little splotch of blood went onto it, you know. Mm. And I went out and I said, hey, there's blood all over my petticoat. And Mum said, he read this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, righto. And the cover on it was blurry. And I said, is this cover blurry or is it my eyes? She said, oh, it's probably your eyes, Debbie. I was like, oh, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, no, you never had any of that. You never had. There was never any any light banter or anything with Mum. You know, I'd like to think that I can do that with some of my girls now. Did you feel love from your mother? Did you feel that she loved you? Hmm. I don't know. I think you just assume it. Yeah. You just assume it, I guess. Mm, never thought of it like that. I know she did love me. Mum would never say sorry. My mother never, ever said sorry to me, not once. She could be proven wrong and she wouldn't say, oh, sorry. I had, um, I was working in Wollongong and Dad had said to me, go to the jeweller shop and buy an emerald ring for your mum. But you have to have, it has to be a real emerald and gold. And there was only a certain amount of money, and I'm thinking, yeah, right. So I walked one end of Crown Street to the other end about three times, pricing all of these rings. And in the end, I got an emerald ring, but it was silver, you know, or it was white gold. It's, I've still got it at home in the jewellery box. But when I got home, I must have, I must have caught nearly the last bus home. It wasn't the last bus, but it was. I was right on tea time, and I got home. And Mum said, where have you been? Because you sit around. Back in those days, you sat around the kitchen table and ate your tea, you know. <laughs> and um, Mum carried on, where have you been? And I said, oh, just had to, I was just in, in town. Because Dad's sitting right there, Mum's sitting right opposite me and my brother is there and, I'm, and she's picking at me, picking at me, picking at me. And I couldn't lie to her because Dad was there. If I told a lie, I'd get into trouble. If I told her the truth, I'd get into trouble. So it was like, fucking hell, I can't win here. And um, in the end, after all of this tirade, I just looked at Dad as if to say, 
I can't do this anymore. And he said to me, go and get it. Go and get it, Debbie. I said, you sure? He said, yeah, go and get it. So I went and got it out of my bedroom and gave it to Dad and he slammed it down on the table and he said, that's where she's fucking well been. You know, because it was Mum's birthday present. Mum's, and now I'll say you're sorry. And no, she never said sorry. Never said sorry. And I thought, you're a miserable old bitch. <laughs> <laughs> no, she never ever said sorry to the day she died. I don't remember ever saying sorry. Yeah, so I make a point of it, you know, of if I'm wrong, I'll say sorry. If I have an element of doubt in what I'm talking about, well, then I'll pull my horns in and, you know, humbly apologise. But if I know I'm right, I won't back down, you know. Just won't back down. Why should I? Why should you? If you know you're right, you shouldn't back down, should you? No. No, they're going to eat a dick. <laughs> See, I didn't edit that one out. It's <laughs> cool. We've got it now. We've got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but now I married a Tasmanian and came to Tassie and wasn't with the, took the mum and dad's only granddaughter. So it wasn't long before they sold up and followed me. I mean, they're down in the cemetery down here now. So mm. they're in the wall. Shove them in there. So fucking stay in there now. Mm. I know they're down there. <laughs> Yeah, so I reckon I'm a local now because I've got family buried down at the cemetery, but then some will say, you're not a local. I will say, oh, you're a local and off, you know, but, mm. you know, it is what it is. Everybody knows me. Mm. They either like me, like me or they hate me, and I don't care either way. Mm. They don't pay me bills, so it doesn't worry me. Yeah, I can be a nice person. I can be an asshole too. You know yourself. Uh, well, you got to learn something about yourself in nearly 70 years, don't you? Mm. Well, nearly 70 is like four years off, so it's a long time dead, isn't it, for four years? I mean, you're just a bucket of bones, aren't you? Well, not in my case, I'm just a handful of ashes, but <laughs> for four years. Shut up, Debbie. No. <laughs> the, the last thing that I want to ask, just on the topic of apologising, can you think of a time that you have apologised to one of your daughters? Uh, not, not, a, not a specific, not a specific um, instance, but no, I do say sorry, yeah. If I'm wrong, I'll say sorry. If I'm not wrong, I won't say sorry. And they're all pig-headed too. Good. They get that off their father, I'm sure. Mm. Mm, definitely. <laughs> Bloody Jago trait. <laughs> I wouldn't have them any other way. <laughs> Thank you so much. That's absolutely perfect. Thank you. No worries, Tom. <laughs> This was local. This project would not be possible without the incredible community of folks who make time to chat, nor would it be possible without the tremendous support of the West Coast community. If this episode offered you something good, 
please consider rating the show via Apple Podcasts. The podcast is produced by Carter Pierce and myself. Digital media is supported by Tess Gilfeder. Our artwork was made by Gigi Gortz. The podcast is funded in part by the Regional Arts Fund. For more information on the podcast and its guests, please go to localthepodcast.com or Local The Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Instagram.